and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all that getting get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your hosts, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can join us at timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage and catch the live stream. At that location, you can join us at www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there. Also, we're streaming at a bb2me.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening. They stream from Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free radio app. In that TuneIn search engine, just type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon and you can stream the program live, even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection again that's time for an awakening radio program with the live stream on the tune in app drop us an email at time for an awakening at gmail.com again that's time for an awakening at gmail.com time for an awakening also has a fan page on facebook and that facebook search engine you can type in time for an awakening radio program there you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or brother richard and do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening Radio Program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening Media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the BB2Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. That's timeforanawakening.com. We'll take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening, the May 28th edition of Time for an Awakening. And uh, our guest this evening in conversation, activist, certified wellness coach and family counselor, and pastor of our church in Memphis, Tennessee, Pastor Diane M. Young, will be joining us this evening to talk about a conference that she is convening at her church, uh, Suicide and the Black Church Conference, that will be held in Memphis, Tennessee, 
on June 14th and 15th, we'll be in conversation about this problem that is exploding in our community. And we'll do that. And you can do that also by joining us at 215-490-9832 with a question or comment. That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not where you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a 
compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 712 here in this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Orange Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine. I'm, you know, just um, acknowledging, you know, it's interesting the discussion we're going to have because when we talk about, you know, what um, they made this moment be about, you know, memorializing veterans, it makes me think about all those, um, you know, soldiers for freedom and the kind of um, challenges that it provides, it puts on us as we, you know, deal with the complications of being alive in in North America. And I I take it, you know, the stress or the different circumstances for the topic, uh, it makes it, you know, apropos for this moment. So I'm I'm looking forward to um, speak with um, Sister Sister Young and and get more information about this conference that they will be having. Richard, uh, let me... Uh, read this brief quote from a article in Everyday Health that was in May of 2022. It says, over the last decade, suicide rates in the United States have increased dramatically. Black Americans in particular, the highest rate of death among black Americans aged 25 to 34 years of age, increasing rates of suicide among black Americans between 2014 to 2019, the rates of suicide among black people in the United States increased by 30%. Uh, Our guest this evening is convening a conference at her church, the Healing uh, Center Full Gospel Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, on uh, June 14th to the 15th, uh, suicide and the Black Church is the, entitled, the, the title of the conference, and she'll be convening some speakers there to speak on this issue. She's joining us tonight to kind of talk about uh, this problem in our community. I want to welcome in uh, Pastor Diane M. Young. Are you there? I am here. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to both of you. How are Thank you? you so much for having me. How are you today? I'm doing good. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Can't complain. Cannot complain. Uh, Pastor Young, the, um, I read the uh, brief paragraph that was in, uh, it was a full article, but I just read this paragraph that was in Everyday Health, and it was published mm-hmm. in May of 2022, and talked about the mm-hmm. rate of suicide up in the United States 
Uh, but mm-hmm. over the past uh, almost 10 years, it has jumped mm-hmm. 30% in the black community. Um, mm-hmm. I know this is why you're having the conference at the church, but kind of talk about it from your perspective before we dive into this issue of suicide in the black community. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to honor what Richard just said about our veterans, because one of the highest numbers that we lose to suicide are veterans. My husband, who transitioned in October, and we normally do this work together. Uh, I want to honor him and all our soldiers on this Memorial Day weekend. I want to take a moment, uh, a privilege of doing that. And um, we actually started this conference. We've done everything together for the 47 years that we've been doing everything together. And we started this conference as a result of one of our members. We were on our way in church um, one Sunday in 2002, and she stopped me as I was going into the sanctuary and said, I need to see you uh, tomorrow. And we had an appointment to meet at 4 p.m. that uh, Monday. We got a call about 7.30 that morning, and they told us somebody was laying on the ground at the church. My husband left, went to the church. She had come to the church, gotten under the cross, taken a pistol, and taken her life there on the church ground. At that particular time, we were already talking about counseling. We were doing healing for damaged emotions. We were doing many, many things. And she was right there where she could get the help, but she chose to take her life. And so that became a search for us. Uh, how do we address this issue and keep us from saying that uh, suicide is a white thing and letting us address the fact that it's happening in our own families? Uh, that's how we got started. And you gave some great numbers uh, as we're starting uh, because um, during the pandemic, suicide went, went down among whites, but it went up among blacks. Yes. And there's some research going on right now trying to figure out why did it go up among blacks and down among among whites. And so it's, it's very important that we talk about this, that we have this discussion, and that we save lives. Uh, wow. Let's, 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 let's dive into some of these things here, uh, uh, Pastor, to... Um, Yes, sir. Because I, I think it's a bigger issue. You're having it at, at your uh, church, church in Memphis we're, in June. We're actually not having it at the church. Okay, uh, go ahead. We're actually uh, having it at Southwest Tennessee uh, Community College. Okay. We, we, we try to go with an institution of learning. Uh, that's been what our, our practice. So we're, we're, we're partnering with Southwest Tennessee Community College, and we're having it on those grounds. We kind of wanted to move it away from the church so everybody would know that this is a discussion we need to have as a, as a people, uh, as agencies, as churches. We want them to know that everybody needs to talk about suicide and how it impacts. My husband coined the phrase suicide and the black church because he wanted to be sure that we understood that this conference belongs to the black church because we need to address it because it's happening to us and among us. Let's look at some of the factors. Now, I was reading a report by uh, uh, Patrice Harris. Uh, She's a 
a black psychologist, and she wrote a report in 2021 mm-hmm. about suicide among black Americans. And mm-hmm. she mentioned five things that she's seen through her practices that is driving suicide rates among black people. Okay. Now, now, keep in mind that a t- trauma mm-hmm. that our people, since we arrived on these shores, have, mm-hmm. had, have, have had a life filled with dramatic trauma. And it, conti- mm-hmm. and it continues to this day. So mm-hmm. these are things that we're constantly addressing generation after generation. So let, let's put that mm-hmm. in the backdrop. But mm-hmm. this is what she said. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. If you want to jump I, in. I'm sorry. When, when, I, I want to hear some of the things that she names, and I'm, uh, I'm sure we're all on the same page. Okay. Uh, this is the five things that she mentioned. Okay. Social media mm-hmm. that ramps up pressure among black youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mental health stigma that impedes black people from, from seeking help. Mm-hmm. The third she mentioned was treatment is less accessible to black people. Mm-hmm. The fourth thing she mentioned is uh, black people continually facing racism and discrimination. Mm-hmm. And the fifth thing she mentions is uh, black people frequently being exposed to violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, l- l- all of those things ahead. are factors, all of those things. Now, being that you had have had this conference for a number of years running, uh, yes. and I'm quite sure that you hear from young people and families in your practices, mm-hmm. let's let's approach some of these things from your perspective. Uh, each one of these things that she's mentioned. Uh, let's start first with social media. Now, social media has 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 elevated. Um, We've had people as young as young as ten years old now, uh, as a result of their contact with social media, to not just attempt suicide but to complete it. And so, social media is way up at the top, way up. The the um, the the advent of uh, a lot of these social media, whether it's Twitter, uh, Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, has exposed mm-hmm. a lot of our youth to information from all over, constantly at their fingertips, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. How do people get control? And see, this is the thing that even though these things are in society, we mm-hmm. have to develop mechanisms to protect our children. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in your practice, how do you manage to tell our people, the parents, to try to get control of these things where these things are being monitored? uh, Where Because uh, I run a business and Uh we have families coming in and all of the Uh families, I'll see children as as young as five and six years old that have some Mm -hmm. type of device in their hand where they're on social media. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, how do uh, you kind of rein this in when in your practice and you're talking to families about the use of social media among the children? One of the things that we've got to do, we've got to empower our community with information. Yeah, they've got to have the information, and they need statistics like what we are trying to accumulate to see just how 
these type of devices and habits impact the lives of our children, how it impacts them to make decisions that they wouldn't make without the help of social media and those that they are dialoguing with. Because that's another thing, when they get in, in those uh, places, parents don't have a clue what they're doing. And, you know, and, and once we get information, we'll know that our children have to be monitored. Uh, uh, and, and, and then one of the factors that plays into this, and we've got to be honest, because a lot of parents are in denial. And if we would get our children help early on, when we see signs that something is not right, something is amiss, because what parents do many times, they stay in denial until their child get in trouble. And often when that child get in trouble, they're making their own decision to say, I don't need no help. I'm not going to get no help. But when we can help them, we need to help our children then. Help them. Put those, put those phones up. They shouldn't have those phones day in and day night, and they do. And I know we use that, 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 those kind of things as a babysitter, but we've got to know that to save our children's lives, we've got to uh, dialogue with them. We've got to have open conversation. We've got to have family meetings. We've got to put them in places. And really, I think one of the protective factors for me as a child and many of us older folk would have been uh, being in the, in the church and having that uh, faith community around them. That was a factor for me. Uh, the second one she mentioned here is the mental health stigma impedes black people from seeking help. Um, talk about it from that perspective because, now, I, listen, generally, generationally, um, going through the trauma that black people have suffered here in this country, you really couldn't... Uh, for, for for decades, for centuries, it was nobody to talk to beside uh, uh, people among our own group. Because if you suffered trauma, uh, no, not mm-hmm. if, when we suffered trauma uh, at the mm-hmm. hands of Europeans, it was nobody to talk mm-hmm. to. You just had to mm-hmm. internalize a lot of that. And I think that leads to behaviors now where when some of our people are going through things, they really don't want want to talk to other people. But talk about it from your perspective, because in your field, people do come to you with a lot of these issues. So just talk about it from what she said. Her number two thing is mental health stigma impedes black people from seeking help. and, and, And I would put that right up there near the top, because stigma has been the reason why many people have not, particularly in our community, because we label people once they go and get the help they need, and we begin to you know, say something wrong with them, and people don't want to think, want you to think that there's anything wrong with them. And so they avoid getting counseling. They avoid getting help. When you're talking about stigma, that has been the leading reason that many people have remained depressed. They know they're, they're experiencing the dark night of the soul, but yet they won't get help because of the stigma surrounding it. I think if we as a people began to talk about it, one of the things that we did in our, in our ministry, my husband and I, when we looked at what we wanted to do for mental health, we didn't call it mental health. We call it emotional fitness. And we have a program called Emotional Fitness Centers of Tennessee because you would be surprised at what a name uh, carries with it. And calling it mental health 
is I'm, I'm, I ain't crazy. That's the first thing that you'll get. But when we say emotional fitness, it changes the paradigm. It changes the way they see it. And they begin to see just like they want to be physically fit. They want to be emotionally fit. So we changed it and we got a lot of, a, a, a lot of kudos for calling it emotional fitness. Because uh, when you say mental health in our community, we run as if in terror. You know, her, her, her third reason uh, kind of coincides with the second. But the third one she <laughs> lists here is treatment is often less accessible uh, to black families. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a fight that my husband and I um, took on. Uh, we took on the state of Tennessee, the, uh, the senators and the Congress people who, who we had sent to the state. And one of the first things that uh, came out of the mouth of one of the senators from, from, from actually from Memphis, he said the only thing that preachers do is take money and, and use it any way they want to. You know, and we immediately stood up and say, you don't know us. We're here because we're concerned about our community. And we kind of put the light on him making a statement like that rather than trusting that we care about the people. And uh, he probably helped us more than anybody making a statement like that, that they did allow us to start these programs of emotional fitness centers, and they still exist to this day. And the state of Tennessee see that it works among black people. And so, you know, we have got to challenge those who say uh, uh, that, 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 that black people don't want help. We need to get them informed and let them know because there are those who, who won't help, but they, they're kind of in the back room trying to get it. We don't care how they get it. We want them to get the help that they need so we can stop this growth of suicide among our black youth and, and the age, the, the age has gone down by the way, 15 to 24. It is the eighth, the third, I'm sorry, third leading cause of death among those, that young group, 15 to 24, third leading cause of death. We have got to address this. And, and as, a, as a black people, we have got to look at our situation and find out what's happening among our youth. Before I uh, deal with her fourth and fifth uh, issues, uh, Brother Richard, uh, jump in. Yeah. Um, Sister Young, um, one thing that comes to my mind is when we talk about the black community and social media, for, for example, is the point of, of, of individual and social alienation. Um, oh. People are, are feeling less connected to each other. Um, in, in, in these seminars and in these um, conferences that you've been given, how has that come up? in relationship to the black community. And you may, you know, uh, uh, and I would, I would say if did that discussion come up pre COVID and after, because you made a point of the increase, um, during Mm -hmm. COVID, um, how has alienation as from an individual and as black people as a social group come up in these discussions? Now, now we do have an expert that will be coming. Uh, those people that will be coming are coming from across the country, and, and they are experts. We have an expert that will address uh, this alienation that you're talking about and how social media seems to fill a gap, but yet it pushes them into something uh, dark 
and and pushes our children and even some of us into this dark place. Uh, but there are experts who are coming uh, that will address that head on. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got sessions for our youth. We've got uh, sessions that will address specifically social media and our our connection or disconnection. How do we disconnect and yet stay connected? Uh, and so we've got uh, sessions on that. And, ooh, I, 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 you know, we're going to have ways that people, even if they're not in Memphis, if they don't come to the conference, that we're going to do hybrid because we want people to get this information. If I, if I may, um, and, and I understand, and I think it's important to reemphasize that you will – this conference will be um, hybrid. So um, anyone for the Time for Waking audience, um, and I'll put this as a question, um, any one of us that may be not within the immediate area could be able to attend the conference? Is that what you're, you're saying? I, I am saying that. I am saying that that, that uh, w- the conference will be not just in person, but it'll also be where you can go in uh, and connect to the classes where you can connect with the plenaries. The first day will be nothing but plenaries. You know, we kind of do the welcome, uh, and uh, the commissioner of the state of Tennessee will be here. And uh, so we will address uh, just open sessions on that first day. Uh, we'll, we'll even have a pastor's panel because we need them to be involved in what we're doing when it comes to addressing this. Uh, we've had a couple of pastors in our area who have lost children to suicide, even during the pandemic. And so it's important that we allow them to participate in this discussion as well. So, yes, sir, uh, we, we are going to have hybrid where you can sign up. Uh, there's a Facebook page, Suicide in the Black Church. You can pull it up and see the flyer, see the guests, and you can actually do, your, do an event right, right there. And my and my last question, um, um, Brother Elliot, and, and to um, Sister Young for for now. And I'm glad you did bring up because that was one of the thoughts I had. And I take it you have said that this is something that you and your husband have been engaged in, as far as this em- empowering with information around suicide for or for a while. Um, and you mentioned about the response from I think you said a state senator. Um, how have your responses been with church leaders, I'm, aside from those individuals who have um, witnessed, you know, individual experiences of, uh, unfortunately, of people, um, you know, having, you know, committing suicide. What is the, the dialogue that you, y'all are engaged in around this issue of suicide in the black community? Honestly, we, we uh, with the, the, the participation of pastors, it's growing. But uh, when we first started this conversation, it was like, um, you know, pastors didn't necessarily want to talk about it. We kept trying to make it belong to the black church. We want them to know that that even though we are the founders of this conference, it does not belong to us. It belongs to the black church. Now, pastors are embracing it more. Every time we have a conference, we have more pastors there. But the Congregants, they come because they want to be empowered and they want to know, and other agencies support. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a diverse group of people that show up, that need this information, that want this information. But our target, uh, and by far, because of 
us being pastors. I, uh, by far, we want pastors to be engaged, and we would love to see more pastors say, you know what, this is some information that I need. Um, so we don't have the response that we want, but it's better. It's, when we first got started, we had little of none. And now probably half of, well, maybe, I'm not going to go that far, maybe uh, a four would be pastors, and we look forward to that having them. I appreciate your honesty in relationship to that because that, Elliot, that delves into some other discussions in other areas we have, but uh, I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you for the question. I'm going to jump to uh, number four and five of, uh, of uh, psychologist uh, Patricia Harris' assessment of suicide mm-hmm. in uh, among black communities. Uh, Her fourth one says black people continually face racism and discrimination. Let me read this Mm -hmm. paragraph she has here. Uh, George Floyd's death is a sobering example of the type of racism caused by uh, structural racism. Uh, Racism Mm -hmm. pervades uh, public policy, education, the justice system, among other areas. Uh, Structural racism Mm -hmm. has also caused black people to be significantly more experienced uh, of poverty and homelessness, despite the fact that black Americans only co- comprise 14% of the population. Uh, mm. Her assessment is that 39% of homeless people and more than 50% of homeless families with children are black. All these different types mm-hmm. of racism and discrimination has had a significant negative impact on mental health, causing stress mm-hmm. and trauma to black people on the receiving end, according to the National Alliance on Mental Health. So um, we see that, and I think that black people do know this, that the system itself has caused major stress in black families. Absolutely. No, I was just agreeing with her assessment that uh, racism and, and, and then out of that, we, we, we see violence and, and, and we, and George Floyd was, 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 uh, was a, a, a wake-up call, and um, then I think we were traumatized all over again, particularly here in Memphis, uh, with Tyree Nichols when that happened. Uh, that that traumatized our whole community once again. And so all the violence, uh, the racism that we have to deal with continuously, it, 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 you know, you would think, uh, you know, everybody thought that when we had a black president that it would go away <laughs> It, it appears that it, it, it kind of amped up once uh, Barack Obama had, had been in office. So racism, violence, those things are definite, definitely things that should lead the way in our conversation. And I have to add, because you raised Barack Obama, this was also the period where the 2008 um, financial crisis occurred. And if I'm not mistaken, it affected the black community even more intensely than um, other communities because of our our, our ex- social economic standing in this society. I don't know if y'all. Mm-hmm. Well, well, somebody said it well. Uh, if if the world get a cold, the black community get pneumonia, and so whatever whatever happens to us is gonna happen to us at a greater level. Just like it got by a lot of people during the pandemic. Uh, how much suffering actually went on in the black community. Um, depression was higher. 
And depression is going to be one of the leading causes of, of suicide. It comes uh, as a result of losses. It comes with loss of relationship. These, this, this causes them to make those kind of decisions. Uh, so um, when, when we put everything up on the screen and we look at it, we got to look at the whole picture of what's really going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, her last uh, assessment of, of factors driving uh, suicide among black people is uh, uh, black people is frequently being exposed to violence in their mm-hmm. community. Um, and that could mm-hmm. take several different angles, whether it's a uh, uh, black on black violence uh Mm-hmm. Violence in you among youth and others in the community, uh, violence from outside of the community as far as the police, or just a violent society, um, mm-hmm. and 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 that's you know a lot of those factors, uh, uh, mm-hmm. young. I, I think really our people really need to take a hard look at how we're dealing with this. Um, mm-hmm. The the conference that you're having in Memphis is uh, yes, excellent, and it needs to be done in other areas of the country. Philadelphia is a larger city than Memphis. There's no Mm -hmm. conference like that here. And we have several Mm -hmm. megachurches. I don't know how many megachurches they have down in Memphis, but we have several megachurches here. And these conferences Mm -hmm. are not being held. Um, Because I think we really have to take a serious look at our situation here as a people here in this country and how we intend to deal uh, with this trauma. I don't think here mm-hmm. before, presently, we're dealing too well uh, with how we're reacting to constant trauma. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, say it from your opinion, because I, I, I don't. I, go ahead. <laughs> I love your interview, and you, got, you, you all are very interactive. Thank you so much. But 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 what we're seeing is a response to what uh, we see consistently coming out as hopelessness. You know, uh, we, 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 we get to a place where we get sick and tired of being sick and tired. A few years ago, uh, you know, when we started all our research, um, there was a suicide uh, letter left by one of the people that took their lives, and they just said, just tired of being tired. Mm-hmm. That was all that it said, and they took their life and left that note, just tired of being tired. Mm-hmm. And so what, what, what we see is hopelessness. And we've got to address hopelessness on every level in every city. And in, in Memphis, we need it here. Yes, we do. But I talked to a man today, and it was funny that you just said what you said. He's from Baltimore. He said, have y'all thought about taking this on the road? He said, because a lot of cities are feeling the pain and the darkness of hopelessness. And we have got to address it. And we really, really... I, you know, my husband, when he passed away, one of his passions was was pastors and ministers. And I grew to have the same passion for ministers and pastors, to get them in a room where they understand that we have people in our congregation every Sunday, like the lady who stopped me on the way in the, in the church that Sunday, who are contemplating taking their lives. And then there are those who have who take their lives, and we know it, but we don't talk about it because we don't want to, you know. It, families feel funny about it because we look at families like they did it, and we always got this idea that everybody take their lives going to hell. 
So we we got that narrative. So people got to live with that. They got to live with the fact, well, my family member took his life. Everybody looking at me funny. They don't know what to say. That's why you need a conference so you'll know what to say, so you know how to say it. Uh, one of the last things my husband wanted to do and did was created a sermon that, where he addressed suicide and, and, and stopped some of the myths that we have and how we immediately send everybody to hell when they take their lives because we say there's, this is the unforgivable sin. But if people really read their Bibles, they would look in the Faith Hall of Fame and they'll see right in the middle of it, it's Samson who took his life. How did he get there? So we've got to stop these narratives and, and we've got to be able to talk to people and help them and not hurt them. And, and if I, I may say, you know, um, one, um, as y'all were saying that, and it really touched me, you know, in both of y'all bringing that up, uh, the, mm-hmm. the point of dealing with emotional fitness. And, mm-hmm. and also um, you said about um, people who wanted to be able to get in touch, you know, so that they can be able to attend the conference um, yes, in June 14th that they can get in touch to your Facebook page. And that would be, I didn't catch it, catch that. The Facebook, uh, the Facebook page is suicide in the black church and, and the flyer is there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Suicide in the black church, but mm-hmm. I, I can give a phone number where they can get information there. Uh, yes. Give out, 901. Give, give out all the details. Yes. Give out all the details <laughs> okay. that will help uh, people connect and how they can uh, get involved and attend. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, um, so the phone number is 901-370-4673. And we got this number years ago, but it's 370-HOPE. <laughs> if you can remember 370-HOPE, then you'll get us, 901-370-HOPE. Um, we've got, um, I don't know how many of you are movie buffs. I'm kind of a movie buff. Uh, but uh, just one of our speakers that's coming in from Atlanta uh, her name is Tamu Lewis. Her brother, Lee Thompson Young, who was an actor, went out to California. Uh, he was he, he was in Aquila and the Bee. I know he was in that one. He was in a lot of Disney movies, doing well on the ride, but he was suffering from depression. And uh, when he got out there, got by himself isolated, I've heard that word since we've been talking, uh, he ended up taking his life. So they've started a foundation. She will be one of our guests who's there. Uh, and she will talk about how this has impacted their family and tell about how, you know, what we need to do for our family members. She's want to be one of our plenary speakers. And our luncheon is the big thing. And we have uh, Jay Barnett. I don't know whether you all know him. You may have interviewed him. Jay Barnett, he, he's a former professional football player, uh, but he's also an attempter. And he, uh, he has now gone on uh, to get, he's a Ph.D. student. Uh, in mental health, and he's he's dealing with just a result of what happened to him. He is really talking to young people, and he's talking to any audience to let them know that we got to have this conversation. And look at me. (laughs) I was a professional football player, but I'm still an attempter. So these are kind of stories you'll hear, but the classes are, um, I mean, we'll address. We've got Oliver Williams coming in from uh, Minnesota, he, he's the founder of the uh, African-American Institute of Domestic Violence. See, we will also address factors. Uh, not just, uh, we're not just going to talk about uh, suicide, quote, but there are things that contribute and cause people to make those decisions. 
One thing Just that, a little bit. Okay. One thing that what y'all said that um, also struck me, and and I you know I ride public transportation, uh, so I I kind of deal with a different segment of of people than people you know who drives or or come in, go in and out, and I can sense without communicating how many, especially young um, mothers, young children, are dealing um, in silence. And when I say mm-hmm. silence, it's like you, it's their lives are stressful. But they're just moving mm-hmm. on, and I'm wondering um, th- that being a contributor to this depression, alienation, mm-hmm. you know, besides mm-hmm. you know all these other things that we speak to that would make person mm-hmm. um, um, not feel um, that, that 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 enough is enough to feel that enough is enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. When we when we look at all of these. And, and all of these things, and we put all of these things together, uh, Richard. There's so many things that we're going to see that uh, are contributing to uh, the hopelessness. People becoming isolated. So, you know, some people things go as far back as their childhood, and they never ever dealt with some issues in their childhood that caused them to live in a state of of darkness, a state of depression. Uh, some of it, uh, some of it, of course, is uh, you know chemical imbalance, but a lot of it has to do with things that happen to them as children, you know. Uh, and so we've got to deal with some of those uh, adverse childhood experiences. So we have to deal with that as well, because especially with some of the adults, when they get to be adults, they've they, they've had. They had things that they don't talk about. You know, every now and then you'll have a counselor to come in and say, I've never told anybody that I was abused sexually. I've never told anybody. And so those things, you know, they turn into something. If you keep them inside, they're going to turn into something. Um, um, when we talk about anger, frozen rage. It's, it's something that, that, that we've never dealt with. Or depression. Depression is frozen rage in many cases. If you look at depression and you trace it back, you're going to find anger. You're going to find some anger in there. And so um, those are the kind of things. And, 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 and th- th- there's another young man coming from the White House. Uh, he's been appointed by uh, President Biden to address HIV AIDS, which is another large community here in Tennessee that we need to address. Again, uh, thank you for your work, Pastor Young. Uh, uh, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, if you want to give out those contacts again, it's, uh, it, it's the uh, 10th Suicide in the Black Church Conference that will be held in Memphis, Tennessee on June 14th and 15th, hosted by mm-hmm. Pastor Diane M. Young at the uh, Healing Center. Well, no, it's not at the Healing Center. Give <laughs> give out all the information again <laughs> for our listening okay, audience okay. so they can get involved. Uh, the, 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 I, I'm going to just run through it. It's, uh, the theme for, for this 2023 uh, conference is Anchored in Hope. I keep talking about hopelessness, so we got to get people anchored in hope. It starts on June the 14th at 1 p.m. It'll start in the afternoon. If you're going to fly in, fine. Um, Call the church. We'll tell you some a couple of places that you can get hotel rooms from, uh, and then it'll be uh, one to four thirty p.m. And, and I want to mention this: that on the first day, this is all such heavy information until we actually have a comedian coming in because laughter does do good like a medicine. So we wanted to lighten things up a little bit on that. Uh, so uh, we're doing that 
The conference will be held at Southwest Tennessee Community College at 5983 Macon Cove, and that's in Memphis, Tennessee, of course. If you go to uh, uh, the Facebook page, what you will find, you will find the flyer there, and you will see the QR code where you can um, where you can register. There is a registration fee. It's not a large fee, but there is a fee. But you can do that in Eventbrite. Again, thank you again for your work, and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you for joining Y'all us. Y'all okay. Thank you so much. God bless. All right. Peace. You know. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this issue. And joining us in conversation will be clinical psychologist for over 30 years, Dr. Carlton Payne, will be joining us. Uh, you can join the conversation, too, by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Brother Richard, on time for an awakening media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. The Digital Plantation, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family to join your interconnected commit to you black communities 
Escape the Digital Plantation Now, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the Digital Plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years, to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we are getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism, do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of the time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Raft Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Mary Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, 
He must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Let anybody take your manhood. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8 o'clock on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Um, Richard, uh, you know, uh, uh, the pastor, I guess, talked about the conference that they're having in Memphis. Um, I think our next guest can go inside the numbers a little bit for us, if, if I want to use that term, to kind of break into what's driving these things and, and solutions to help our people move forward. Uh, joining the conversation is Dr. Psychology for over 30 years here in the city of Philadelphia and the Philadelphia and the surrounding area. Uh, Dr. Carlton Payne is with us in conversation. Dr. Payne, how are you, sir? I'm doing just fine. How about you and Brother Richard? Doing great. Doing great. Listen, Dr. Payne, um, let's, let's, um, I, I know that you had been listening to our prior guests, and uh, let's take this a little deeper inside the numbers, being a doctor of psychology. Uh, first, let me read this uh paragraph that I read uh, to our previous guest, uh, Pastor Diane Young. And then I want to read a couple of paragraphs from uh, it was a article published uh, called Childhood and Trauma and Changes to the Brain Chemistry because you can help us with this. But first, let me read this. It was in Everyday Health uh, May 2022. It says the increasing rates of suicide. Oh, excuse me, hold it. it, it let me start uh, from the beginning of that paragraph. Over the last decade, suicide rates in the United States have increased dramatically. Black Americans in particular. The highest rate of death is among black Americans aged 25 to 34 years of age. Increasing rates of suicide among black Americans between 2014 and 2019 rates of suicide among black people in the United States increased by 30%. Suicide among black men was three times that of black women. Um, in your estimation, Dr. Payne, what's driving these rates of suicide? And once you answer that, I want to read a couple paragraphs from this trauma and brain development, because you can help us get inside these numbers. But go ahead, uh, just talk about that article to kind of a billboard uh, you addressing this issue. Well, first I want to commend you and, and Brother Richard. This is a topic I've been waiting for for a long time, and you're right on the money with it. And I also want to uh, commend Pastor Young on her knowledge of the material. Um, this, this was something that's been needed in the black community for the longest time, and I'm really glad to see that you're addressing it. Well, the first thing, your question is, what is driving this? And one of the biggest issues in the black community is racism. See, uh, Pastor Young said something right on the money. She said that depression is 
anger turned inward, okay? As, as a means of dealing with the environment, our children are turning their anger in on themselves and is manifesting as suicidal behavior. You know, um, feelings of helplessness, feeling of hopelessness, nowhere to turn, nobody to talk to, and we're nowhere to go. Um, she mentioned um, our soldiers. Our soldiers are, uh, especially black male soldiers, death before dishonor. I dare not show weakness. You know, it's better to, 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 to and I find that among um, black male patients, they will not reveal any kind of weakness. The most difficult thing uh, a lot of my black patients would say is I was afraid. They can't say those words because they've been socialized in society that black men have to be strong. They can't show any kind of weakness. And if something is destroying them inside, they can't reveal it. So it's better to end this than to deal with the issue. So that's really one of the underlying things that's driving this. There's another factor, and I mentioned it before, racism. You, mentioned, you played a segment from Jackie Robinson's autobiography. I would like your people to, to, to read that book because in the book, Jackie Robinson reveals what the pressures of racism actually does to people. People don't realize that Jackie Robinson lost both legs, okay, to diabetes. He died at age 53. But in the book, during his, his uh, debut in 1947, he was going to the doctor because of terrible stomach pain because of what he, he was taking there, what he was internalizing every day. Racism and, and abuse is destructive. The word psychosomatic, psycho means mind, soma means body, the mind making the body sick. So suppose for 400 years you've been living in a society that's been giving you this every day, all the time, when you go on the bank, and gaslighting you, telling you it's not happening. What do you think is going to be the result? And our children are a little more susceptible than we are because they don't believe it. I talked to my students and they said they could not believe society was like this until Trump got into office. They didn't see it. They thought that our generation, the generation we were was just giving them a bunch of history. And, and, but it's been there the whole time. I'm going to read some statistics to you. Um, this is 20 years ago, 2004. The number one person to commit a suicide was white male. There were 23,000 suicides, uh, completed suicides in this country. There were 6,000 white women, okay? Among black men, there were only 1,000 completed suicides. This is only 20 years ago, okay? There were only 1,655 completed suicides in this country. And a black woman. Wait a minute, Dr. Payne. Hold it. Hold on a second, Dr. Payne. You said 20 years ago, it was 23,000. White males white that, male that had committed suicide. suicide. Yes. And, and at that time, it was only 1,000 blacks? Yes. Go ahead. Amazing statistic. Go ahead. Okay. And this is from the National Institute of Justice, which is the research wing of the Department of Justice, currently headed by Merrick Garland. But, so you can pull it up on your computer anytime. 1,000 completed black male suicides in 2004. Okay. Now, among black women, there were only 364 recorded suicides. What does that tell you? What has changed so drastically? And that is the environment has changed. I think uh, the past hit it right on the head, social media. Some people have their whole self-image on social media. This is who I am. This is how I became. And they don't realize the impact that this is having. I've been in the car with, uh, with my nephew, and he has his phone in every two minutes. 
every two. He couldn't even finish the conversation. It's become so so ingrained into his psyche. And uh, we were on a cruise, and they had to leave that. And then when, once he got out of Georgia, the United States, they had to put their cell phones down. And the children were going through withdrawal because they couldn't attach to social media. What does that tell you? Well, just think about those things. So it's it's much more it's much more pervasive than you think it is. You know, it's almost like alcoholism. You don't realize you're an alcoholic until it sneaks up on you. And this addiction to social media is is the underlying cause of of a lot of these behaviors. And um, I think that you kind of hit it right on the head. Now, what I wanted to do was kind of help the parents on what to look for, because it's important that we train the parents in what to see uh, with your children, because a lot of our parents, they just don't see it. Well, you know, there are, go, go ahead, go ahead. Do, Dr. Payne, before you get to the, because that's, that's important, what you're saying is mm-hmm. very important. Okay. But before you get to yeah. that, let me read this because this is what's puzzling me and I'm reading it, but you got to help me with this. And I'm quite sure you got to help Richard with it too, because I, I, we're not, <laughs> you, we're not scientists. We don't look at the mind from that level that I'm going to read to this, but this was kind of shocking to me and and it'll lead into what you're getting ready to talk about when you just mentioned that. But let, let me read this because th- this came from a published report. Childhood trauma changes brain chemistry. Now you just stated several cases of trauma generationally among black people. Let me read this. Help, help, help me with this. It says current scientific understanding suggests that most brain development occurs between infancy and age five and continues at a slower rate through childhood, teen years and early adulthood. At birth, the brain contains about 100 billion interconnected cells. Each cell forms thousands of connections called synapses with other brain cells. An infant's brain has approximately 2,500 synapses per neuron. New synapses are created every time a child experiences a new sensation or process in a new stimulus over the first three years of a child's life. At this point, the brain begins to eliminate lesser used or dormant synapses and strengthens ones that are frequently used. Very good. Whatever emotion, reaction, stimulus a child experiences has on a regular basis will become the foundation of their brain function for the rest of their life. When trauma occurs during childhood, two issues with the brain development arises. First, the growing and strengthening synapses may form in areas of the brain that processes negative responses like anxiety, fear, or anger. Second, these traumatic experiences remain, uh, uh, these traumatic experiences remain unaddressed through the rest of the brain development. They may become cemented in the brain's pathways and can lead to mental health concerns later in life such as anxiety, panic disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, and personal disorders and mood disorders. 
let me go help me with this, Dr. Payne. This is saying that most of the brain development occurs in the child between infancy and five. Yeah. And slows down to a slower rate till they reach adulthood. So things that are happening to a child, especially during one to five, it says can become cemented in a child's brain. And if it's traumatic, it can kind of have the child go either way. Am I saying this correctly? I'm using layman's terms. Break it down from the way you're seeing this. Okay, I, I'm going to break it down in terms that just said that uh, non-clinical terms make it easy to understand. Synapse is, I want you to look at a synapse as like the, the Philadelphia uh, subway. You have the northbound train and the south, a southbound train, and you have the L train going east and west in Philadelphia. Okay. Now, if you go to the subway system in New York, they have the A train, the B train, the C train, the D train. That, that would be multiple uh, synapses that go all over. You can get from point A to point B anywhere. Okay. And the neurons would be the, uh, the, the train, the trains themselves, okay? And you can get anywhere. And then, so next time a kid asks you, well, why should I study math? It's because you're developing synapses that you may use need later on in your brain. Every time, like the, your article just said, every time you develop uh, a new way of doing something, you develop a new synapse. And so you, de- you develop a new train tunnel in your brain. Now, you have chemicals in your brain, okay? Uh, serotonin, norepinephrine, uh, acetylcholine, acetylcholine esterase, all these chemicals are neurotransmitters. And they, transmit, they transmit information throughout that, that brain uh, web. And trauma stops that. If a, when a kid is being spanked or whooped, negative chemicals are released in that brain and stops the brain. But a lot of people don't realize that, that when you, you, know, you grab that kid and you hit him and traumatize that child, that kid stops developing some of those neural pathways at that point, okay? The brain is really an organ, like a heart, lung, kidney, any other organ in the body floating in a mass of spinal fluid. And when that spinal fluid gets out of whack, the brain development changes. That's what you're seeing a lot of times with our young people. I don't know if you noticed it, but our children are not developing at the same speed that we are. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed 35-year-old guys who act like they're 24? Or, or 40-year-old women who act like because they, they're not developing because that brain chemistry has been off. And um, I had one professor t- tell me, he made, a great, he made a great sentence. He said, like, a lot of young people are still in the pre-operational stage, in the early stage of development. That's why they're doing the things that they're doing. Um, to share this with your listeners, you and I had a discussion. We, played, we were playing in a 55 and over league, and the guys that were 35, wanted to play with us and we couldn't figure out why they want to play with a bunch of guys you know who are 20 to 30 years older than them and it's because they they want to some kind of win they felt like failures in their life and this is my one chance to win something and that's been occurring with a lot of young people nowadays um our black children are not getting what we received you know that old saying that we gave them what we didn't have but we did we didn't give them what we did have and that's really what's going on with a lot of young people. Those, those synapses are not developing. When they, they say that the prefrontal cortex, the two uh, thinking centers of the human brain, the two, two frontal lobes of the human brain don't develop till age 25. Well, for this generation, it's not developing till 30 and older. 
a point of concern because of the trauma that they're facing. They haven't developed the coping skills that we did when we were younger. Um, so I want you to kind of understand this. I worked in the prison system. The least likely person to commit suicide was an adult black male. Even if he was a stockbroker who had multiple, uh, multiple, a lot of income, you know, a lot of status and he came and he found a way to cope with that environment. The most likely person to commit suicide in a prison setting was a white or Hispanic male. They were, they were astronomical. But that is changing now. The, the, the young black males, the middle-aged black males are not developing those coping mechanisms to deal with their environment. You know, if you go back and look at your grandmother and your great-grandmother, they, here's a story my mother told me. She said that when she was seven years old, um, she and her mother went, they were from Georgia, went down south. And when they got right outside of Washington, which had to be the Mason-Dixon line, the conductor came on the train and made all the black people move to the rear of the car. And she said that my grandmother didn't react to it at all. She just got up and went and so I said, well, how does she deal with that with such grace and dignity? She had been through so much, so much traumatic events, so many traumatic events in her youth. Uh, my mother's father was a sharecropper. So she had been through so much that she was able to deal with these traumatic events in adulthood. Our children are not getting that, that background and that support. And so when traumatic events occur, they're doing what that middle-aged white guy who's never really faced adversity is doing when he gets arrested. The, the, uh, what I'm saying making sense to you? Yes. Yeah, that middle-aged white guy has never really dealt with, I, I've, I've interviewed several of them, and they, and they say things like, I don't see how guys deal with things like that in here. People treating you like uh, making you line up, taking your clothes. There's something they just were not used to. They, they were so used to living their lives and doing what they want. And so when somebody comes up, and black people were kind of um, dealing with this stuff internally. But now our children who haven't been through all that, all that is not, they're not dealing with trauma very well. And that's what's going on. Um, it's a way of escape. I, I, and this field is called a short-term solution, a, a short-term a short solution to a long, a long-term solution to a short-term problem. Yeah, Dr. Payne, the, this article, the few progress I read, states that a child, and, and it talks about the development, and you just expressed it. Tell us what happens to a child that may experience uh, 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 domestic situations at home, the loss of a cousin, a small brother or sister to gun violence, or just watching their mother come home or for father if he's there that has lost a job, that is, is, is mm -hmm. suffering on the job, discrimination that this article uh, expresses, and comes home and exhibits behavior that a child doesn't understand. Very good. How is that? Very good. How is that translating into behaviors? Because a child can't listen. If something I don't like, I can express it clearly. A child can't do that. The vocabulary is not there and they might not know how to, to express their feelings. So how is this type of thing? How does it come out? If they can't express it, in a fashion that me and you or any adult or Richard could, 
How does it come out on a child that young? Very good question. Excellent question. There, um, there's a rule of thumb in psychology, okay? Women emote, children act out, men withdraw. On average, a man, an adult male, if there's something going on in his life, he will tend to be pensive. He'll go ball by himself, and he'll try to deal with it internally. Women will talk to other women. They'll let those emotions out. A lot of times when I have a women's group, before I even begin talking, the tears start coming out. The women will show their emotions, but, but children will act out their emotions. A lot of times, parents don't know what's going on with this kid. Why is he doing this? He's slamming stuff around, or he's sitting in the chair rocking, or he's regressing, he's sucking his thumb. What's going on? They're acting out what they feel. They don't understand it. They, like you said, they don't have the verbal skills or the experience to verbalize what's going on, but they feel it. They feel the emotions. There's something called a type 1 and type 2 trauma. A type 1 trauma is a direct trauma, something that happens to you directly. You know, you get beat up or you get hit or something happens to you. But a type 2 trauma is Somebody, something happened to somebody else, and you feel the same emotions and experience that, that that person would have felt. And that's what a lot of our children are experiencing. Their cousin gets killed. They go to, they don't understand death yet, but their cousin gets killed. There's a, uh, there's a uh, shooting in the neighborhood. They, children are aware of everything. I mean, parents will tell you this. Children may be, he may be sitting and looking at television. He may be sitting and co- coloring a coloring book, but he's aware. That child is aware of everything that's going on in that house around him. He, he knows when something's stressed in the house. He knows what, uh, if, if mom and dad aren't getting along, sometimes mom and dad won't be speaking to each other and the kid will break out crying because he feels what's going on in that household. So what's well, suppose it's a traumatic event. Somebody died or some, someone was killed or somebody was murdered. You don't think that kid picks it up? Oh, and parents always said it. Well, he wasn't, he, nobody said anything to him, but he feels the, the same exact thing. One good example uh, that I can give you is a kid that I have where um, it was a thunder, and my, my son was really good for this when he was little. He, it would be a thunderstorm. I hear his little feet coming down the hall. He'd jump in the bed between mom and dad, and you hear him do that little sigh. Ah, I made it. That's a very comfortable place for a child. I, in between mom and dad, I feel safe. I can sleep now, okay? This little boy had a single mother. It was a thunderstorm. He did the same thing. He runs down the hall, he dives in the bed, and mom wasn't there. That boy is changed forever. Now I have to cope. And mom was gone every night. Either she was working or she was out, but she wasn't there. So now his brain chemistry is totally changed at a very young age. He's a different person than he would have been. And that's one example of what's happening with our children. Um, I'm waiting for dad to show up. Mom and dad aren't together. Dad said he's going to come over and pick me up on Saturday. I've been waiting all day. I've been looking out the window, and Dad doesn't show up. I'm a whole different person than I would have been from now on. And that's really what's going on in our community. It's time for us to make some changes because that's where it begins. And you said it. You hit it right on the head. The brain development at that stage is totally different than it would have been. The biochemical changes in that brain are totally different than they would have been. You become more cynical. You become sense of like like the uh, pastor said, there's some helplessness. There's nothing I can do. No. I get it. From, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. I get it from the inmates all the time. It's called an external locus of control. The world controls you. I caught a robbery. They gave me a homicide. 
um, you know, they, they, the world controls me. I don't control my world. It's a whole different mindset. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I don't have any control of my environment. So I just adapt to what's going on around me. There's another one. I'm not going to make it to my 18th birthday. If I have a belief that I'm not going to make it to my earth, my 18th birthday, I'm likely to do anything. So it's about the belief system and the belief system is impacted by the brain development. Before you can give some, uh, uh, going back to what you're saying about some signs, let, let me throw this in there because, uh, this is something that, that I kind of kick around and talk about. Um, you just mentioned about things going on in a child's life because they know they, they see everything, even if they can't express it. So when you have a child that's going to preschool, first grade, kindergarten, he goes in, the majority of teachers are young white women. He goes in and he's angry, just like you said. They tell him to do something. No. Uh, he's sitting there with a, a scowl on his face. He, he's mad. All of a sudden, the mother's called into the school, and they recommend Adderall. They recommend Ritalin to control his behavior. How dangerous is this, in your opinion? It's okay. horrible. Go ahead. It's Go ahead. absolutely, positively horrible. I get into conflicts with Caucasian female psychologists and Caucasian female teachers all the time because they look at the kid totally different than what he is. You know, first of all, I hate to say this, but they see the kid as being bigger and stronger than he is. It's some kind of cultural thing. You know, I think it's just a little kid. You know, what are you talking about? Oh, he's scary. I mean, the kid is, you know, the kid is eight years old. How scary is he? You know, they have they they have a whole different perception, and you see it you see it in the literature. Atibagov said that that the average Caucasian sees black, especially black males, as being bigger, stronger, and more dangerous than they actually are. Uh, a two hundred pound Caucasian man who's six feet tall and a two hundred pound black man, he's seen as twice the size of him and twice as strong. And it begins when the child is little. I said, how scary is this kid? And I will go on to talk to the kid. Okay, the kid didn't have breakfast. Uh, you know, he, he, he didn't get the, uh, he got to school late. He's angry, but uh, you read their psych report. Oppositional defiant disorder. <laughs> Come on. They don't look at our children for what they are. Okay. Um, I, I, I've said it to say this. I had a, a, a kid in, in the prison system. He's 18 years old. And they, they called him a monster. Everybody was scared of him. And um, I go into a cell, and he said, he's a kid. He looks like my, my kid. And I sit on the bed. I said, what's been going on with you? And the kid starts crying. But he's, he's about six feet tall. He's about 200 pounds, and he's bald, and everybody's scared of him. But he's a kid. Do you see what I'm saying? So what do you think the judges are saying? What do you think the, the lawyers are saying? What do you think the teachers are saying? They don't. Look at, look at Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse killed two people. But he was the boy next door. He looks like our grand, our son or our grandson. We can't convict him. But say Kyle Rittenhouse was six feet tall with a bald head and, and 190 pounds. What would they have done with him? It's all in perception. How they look at that. So we have to look at our children. I want to re- rename uh, young black males to be a new word, beautiful. 
I think young black males are beautiful. Why do I say that? Number one, I used to be one. <laughs> and number two, I have two at home. I fed them. I raised them. I, I educated them. I think they're beautiful. Okay. But you look at television. I'm watching the nature film. A, a, a great white shark comes out of the water. And he's got teeth as big as your hand. And they say he's beautiful. <laughs> a, uh, a, uh, the people are whale watching in Alaska. And the whale could crush that boat and kill everybody on the boat. But he jumps out of the water and they say he's beautiful. But a young black male is walking down the street with his sneakers and they say how scary he is. What does that tell you? <laughs> it tells you the nature of this society. Oh, I was scared. I'm scared as ever been in my life. So I want you to kind of look at the mentality is not within our people. Our people are reflecting the mentality of the greater society. And we have to bolster our children to deal with that environment. That's the secret. Wow. Richard, jump in. I know, I know you've got some things you want to add. No, no. Um, and I, and I appreciate, um, brother Payne, um, the way you are uh, addressing, addressing this. Um, it is, the thought that came to my mind, and, and since you're in, in Philadelphia or in the area, um, when we're dealing with trauma, I know at uh, one moment um, the state NAACP was trying to push trauma um, in in the, you know, to, to, to address in the community. What I'm trying to get to as a question, you know, just to get your feedback on, um, does the political, you know, we've had um, political representatives, we've had um, black public health representatives. We've had um, the black psychologist that's local, the black sociologist that's local. Um, why um, with the level of poverty and, de- and and dire poverty in the black community is not this trauma uh, on the forefront of our consciousness? Um, what's your thought in relationship to that? The best way to deal with a problem is a clean diagnosis. If you look at the literature, everybody has a different diagnosis as to what's going on. If you just if you if you just listen to talk radio and you listen if you read some of the literature, oh, it's this, it's that, it's jobs, it's relationships, is you know, it's some people are blaming single mothers, you know. It's, everybody has a different, but but if you're di- if you're diagnosing a heart problem, a clean diagnosis is the valve. Is that is that um, a good example is was um, Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong to present, and 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 I want to bring this to your listeners' attention. Is a rule of number rule of psychology. The presenting problem is never the problem. What they come in with is never the problem. You've got to kind of do your research to find out what's going on, okay? Um, Lance Armstrong, the presenting problem was shortness of breath. Uh, the, when the doctors examined him, they found lesions in his lungs. Now, they could have treated the, treated the lesion that helped with the breathing, but they said, what would cause the lesions? And, and the, one of the symptoms of, of uh, testicular cancer is our lesions in the lungs. So they went further and they found that it was the te- testicular cancer that was causing lesions, that was causing the, the shortness of breath. So we're looking at the symptoms in the black community, but we have to go back. We have to go back to see what the original cause is. And if you look at it, it's, it's uh, racism, it's hatred, it's, it's uh, discrimination, but it's also we, we were taught to hate ourselves. Mm. And that is one of the biggest issues. That's one of the biggest issues. We don't look at 
um, we look at the, the outcome, violence in the community, uh, destruction, but that's just a reflection of what's going on inside. We try, it's like if I had a spot on my suit and I, and I try to wipe it off on the mirror, it's not going to do any good. What's happening in black community is a reflection of what's going on in the mind of black America. We were Jim Crow and slavery has done much more damage than we first ever suspected. And the more I study it, the more I see the damage that was done. Hmm. And let me, let me, let me go to you. Let me take it a step further for your listeners. Any living organism needs power over its environment. And I don't want to sound too technical. Okay. And that's from a, a, a amoeba to a human. It requires power over the environment. It enables the organism to feed, to mate, to reproduce, and to live. Without power over the environment, the, the organism will quickly die as an individual and as a group. Now, in humans, that's translated to a feeling of power, a feeling that I have control over my own life. That was, and that's a fundamental thing of survival for, black, for people. That was taken away during slavery. They started expressing a need power over the environment in, in alternative ways. Being the super stud, sleeping with a lot of women. And you see it today. Gold chains, big speakers, you know, rap music, cussing on the, it's, it's alternative ways to express it and power over them. And violence. Expressing power over a, a sense of gaining power. And humans need that to survive. And that's really, that's what you see going on. That's where all this violence and self-destructive behavior is coming from. So we have to find a way. And that's, as doctors, that, that's what we're doing. Find a way for, for African-Americans to develop a sense of power over their environment. If you is, look at the Caucasian, go ahead. Is that, is that and I know it's a, a I, I hear you framing it as a health issue, but, um, and you mentioned the world controls me. And the other part is the power over environment. Is that mm-hmm. a political? Is that is that a political? Um, I mean, do we have to get a political control over the environment that affects us even to the point of our self-image, or is exactly. it just be done individually? I mean, can it well, be done individually? One, and, and first of all, it's a it's group. It's not individual. Okay, um, and some people, uh, some people reached the point of self actualization in their life, like someone like Martin Luther King, where he kind of saw it. And and, and the, t- the taste that you play between show, shows that he saw it. Uh, do not relinquish your manhood. That was a very poignant statement by him. But let me tell you, I want to share this with you. Uh, for years, and, 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 and Brother Elliot said, I've been doing this for 30 years. For years, I would go in and talk to inmates, juveniles, and I would ask, I would always ask the same question. What is the most important thing in the world? in front of 60 men, 120 men. And I would, for, for years, I would get the same. The first or second answer would always be the same. Freedom. I would always get that because they were locked up. Freedom is the most important thing. Guess what I've been getting for the last 10 years? Money. Money has surpassed freedom as the most important thing in the world. So when you put money for other things, you're likely to do anything. It tells you how the mindset has changed. So both of you are doing, go ahead. Now, wait a minute. You said that you would talk to groups of inmates. Yeah. And ask them what is the most important thing to you. And they say freedom. 
Yes, because, and it's obvious because they're locked up, so they're going to say freedom. And, and for 20 years, I heard that. But you talk to a group of inmates now, and they say it's money. For the last 10 years, first or second answer will be money. Money has to pass freedom as the most important thing to them. What does that tell you? It tells me. It tells me. I mean, because freedom, at least whether we're uh, physically incarcerated or not, relates to our historical reality or what we've been trying to accomplish since we've been captives brought here. Money is something that's just been emphasized to us in the last maybe 40, 50 years that that's more important than relationship. You know, that's more important than, as you say, getting power over our environment. Freedom and getting power over our environment. Money is being able to make some transactional um, re- things based off of what we have. So that is a powerful um, observation that you, for me anyway. Um, I get it. I get what you're saying. And I think you're hitting right on the head. But when money becomes more important than freedom, it tells you a lot about that person. And think, it means that their mindset has been totally changed. Their belief system has changed. And that was the biggest and most dangerous result of slavery. It changed the belief system of black people. Garvey said it. Uh, people who know their roots, uh, people who know their history is like a tree, who don't know their history is like a tree without roots. And if you know who you are and you know where you came from, you know where you're going. But if you think this, this is all there is, then you're more likely to do anything. Mm. And that's where a lot of these behaviors are coming from self-destructive and otherwise. And that's where the suicidal behavior is coming from. Dr. Payne, uh, you, you, yes. you, uh, yes. you mentioned about 15 minutes ago when you were getting ready to uh, express some of the signs for, for parents to notice in their children, and we kind of went into another area. Can you go back to that and talk about some of the things that we should pick up on as parents or even yeah. as neighbors or whatever, to, uh, noticing our children. Go ahead. I, I want to share this, and I want you to look for these. And I want you to start changing your mindset and look at your children through different eyes. Like, like the pastor said, a lot of times parents are in denial. They'll see it right in front of them, and they'll say, no, this is not happening. You know, no, my kid wouldn't do that. My kid doesn't think that. No, you got to be a it's, uh, it's better to kind of step in these situations. You are the parent. You are growing up, and they're the kid. You step in. So the first thing to look at are verbal cues. The statements the kid is making, uh, sometimes they're direct. Uh, it would be, be better for me to be dead than go through all of this, you know, or I'm, 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 this is not going to last long. Stuff like that. Those, those things are very important when your kid st- says things like that because they're, the kids are not going to tell you I'm going to commit suicide, but they'll tell you nonverbally, okay? No one cares whether I live or die. Well, that's a big one among young people, you know? Nobody cares about me, okay? Or they'll ask you something totally indirect. Why are Black people doing so bad. Why is there such unhappiness around me? You know, um, and especially after a traumatic event, grandma passes away or something like that. Look and look and listen for things like that. Okay. The second one is behavioral cues. Any prior suicide attempt, any kind of thing, whether they took aspirin or you know they tried to do something stupid or uh, running out in traffic. Um, or they start donating their stuff. Well, you know, you, you give your, 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 your toys to you. Why are you doing that? Why are you giving away your stuff to your, to your little sister? You know, you look at what they're doing. Why are you giving stuff away? Okay. Um, look at your situation. 
because your situation, your family situation, people don't think it because they don't discuss it with the kid, but it impacts the kid even more than it does you because the kid is nonverbal. So family strife, mom and dad are going back at it. It's chaos in the household, okay? Financial difficulties. People think that the financial difficulties don't impact the kid, but it does. Sometimes it impacts the kid even more. Okay, <laughs> I like to tell a little an- anecdote. My um, my son was putting on a little extra weight, so my wife and I got together and said, "We're only going to buy food that you have to prepare, and we're going to put that in the refrigerator, and that way he has to work in order to to eat to eat and get his weight down." Well, he called the family meeting. He's like eight years old. I like to call a family meeting. Uh, what's the matter? Are we having financial difficulties? Does that seem to be anything to eat in the refrigerator? <laughs> <laughs> he was really concerned, you know. So it tells you that it, it, it impacts upon the children. So financial difficulties affect upon the children. Um, parent loses a job. They don't think it affects the kid, but it does. Okay? The third, third one is called syndromatic cues, and these are things to look for. Dep- depression. It's a, it's, it's, the depression, especially among our children, is on the increase. They'll they'll be sullen. And and. I hate to sound technical, but depression is an emotional disorder, okay? And it's characterized by unresponsiveness to stimulus in the environment, meaning that the kid is not reacting or your child is not reacting to things that they used to. They're not watching the shows they used to be. They're not excited as they used to be. They're not doing the things that they used to do. Look for any changes in their behavior. So it's, uh, uh, they're not responding to, to uh, cues in their environment, Okay. And typical examples are lethargy, lack of energy, um, acting out emotions. Um, the kid stays in bed all day during summer vacation. Uh, you got to step in there. Something's wrong. You know, why are you in the bed all day? Especially you know, with, with a young girl, okay? Um, uh, defiance. You know, the kid, any drastic change of behavior, um, go to bed. They give you a hard time. They're really trying to ask for your help. Or the kids just being bad. No, they want to get your attention. See it not just as uh, uh, being bad, but being, why is this kid acting his behavior different than it used to be? Okay. Um, so those are the syndromatic uh, cues. Now, now, so, now, the question, is it is it cues, uh, are they age-related? For example, uh, would the cues in a child... Uh, just say uh, six and under be different than a child maybe twelve and under or even a teen eighteen and under. That's a great. That's a great question, Go and ahead. you're exactly right. Each behavior is different. Each behavior accused in a child and a child, uh, like you said, eight and under. Eight, eight seems to be the key point. And I want to kind of bring this to your attention. Um, other therapists have seen this. I don't know. I don't know if you heard of the. Um, the uh, third grade, the prison pipeline. Well, researchers yes. were, were yes. in Texas were planning how many jail cells to build based on the attendance and behaviors of eight year olds. And this is in Austin, Texas. I'm attending for a seminar. They were projecting how many jail cells to build based on eight year olds. Um, a prominent psychologist, Dr. Joanza Kajufu. He called this the, the uh, third grade failure syndrome. He said from from kindergarten to the end of third grade, black children are among the highest achievers in the country. And there's a cutoff in third grade. And then, well, how old is a kid in third grade? He's eight. Okay. I, I, did, I, I did a little more research and I found that 
eight years old is when the child starts to get an image of himself, who he's going to be. That's when he's, oh, I'm going to be like 50 Cent, or I'm going to be a basketball player. I mean, they start getting an image of themselves, and that is a key age for young young people, okay? Um, and you mentioned the teenage years. What's the most important thing to a teenager? And I found this in years of doing the, uh, the therapy with them. What's the most important thing to a teenager? Not being embarrassed, okay? And that's why social media has such an impact on these people. You know, there's somebody will show a picture or it'll be something, uh, uh, something that, that, that embarrasses them. And it's, it's like the worst thing that could have happened to them in the entire world because their prefrontal cortex, the reasoning of the brain is not fully developed yet. So to them, that's the most horrible thing in the world. Well, that's where a lot of these behaviors are coming from. And they feel like they're trapped in a hopeless situation. And the only alternative is to end their life. So it's important for you to see and look at your children, see if their behaviors mimic of any of these things. And it's important to have intervention. And I, I do want to share one other thing with you. Um, there was a, and I want to give the name of the school, but it was an elementary school out in Villanova when I was a student out there. And the kids were, they, one of the kids that committed suicide, and they were really afraid, especially among uh, uh, youthful populations. They have um, uh, people that mimic behavior. So it becomes an epidemic. One kid kills himself, another kid kills himself. So we as young psych students, and this is, you know, eons ago, they had us go into that school and do counseling with the young students because they wanted to prevent them from mimicking the person that killed themselves. So they said, the professor said to me, and I was the only black student in the class. He said, if any, um, if you could think of any other schools that might need our intervention, um, I want you to bring it to, a, your, uh, to their attention. So there was, a, it was a shootout at, uh, in, in North Philly where the police were shooting and that neighborhood was traumatized right near the school in North, North Philadelphia. So I brought it to his attention. He never guessed what his response was. Well, things like that happen often in those neighborhoods. So they may not need our intervention. Can you see the mindset? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So it's going to be up to us. It's going to have to be up to us to make those interventions. And I know I'm long-winded, but I just wanted to get this information out to you. It's, it's valid. What you're saying is it's, uh, it's, 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 it's valid, and it's, I'm glad, glad you're presenting it. Let, let, let me kind of shift gears a little bit because okay. I, I read the report, and you kind of expressed, you went inside the number, so to speak, and talked about brain development among our youth and how this works and how it operates. Let's talk about, see, now, when I was a child, and I mean, it's not, uh, you know, maybe to young people, it's a long time ago. But when I was a child, it's certain things that my mother and father, who were adults, if they had conversations, if some of their friends came to visit and they were talking, you weren't in the room. And if you were in the room when the people came in, then you found something else to do whether you go in your room or go outside, it was certain conversations they wasn't privy to. And it was certain things that adults did that you weren't necessarily around when they were doing it, whether they were uh, having a drink, drinking beer, whatever. 
unless you were at a mm-hmm. party where you couldn't, uh, you know, you know, go into other areas. But if just say somebody visited your home, a friend of your dad or mom's, and they had certain things that they were doing, you were sent elsewhere. Um, I, I think that those things now, especially among youth who haven't been taught necessarily how to conduct themselves as parents, I think that's been a little lost. Now, I'm saying that to say this. With the pervasiveness of uh, uh, of uh, uh, f- uh, filthy gangster rap music, you'll, and I see it all the time, you'll see a car driving down the street with the music playing and children in the back seat or children in the car seat or whatever, or children in the back of the car, and they're listening to this music. You expressed earlier that a child's mind, even if he's coloring or watching TV, he knows everything that's going on in his environment. He's keen to that. That's what you express, right? Yeah, and that's very true. You're right on mind. So how is this working with a a, de- a brain that's developing now. We already expressed his brain is developing. And he's hearing all of these lyrics about killing somebody that looks like, or killing an uh, N-word, uh, degrading things to women. And sometimes they're repeating the words. They don't even realize what they're saying. But they know the words to these, these uh, I don't want to call them songs. They know words to to whatever they're singing. How, t- tell me how this is working in the development of a child's brain. Um, the term that you're that you're alluding to is called psychoacoustics, and basically, what it is is how the sounds around us make us feel, how we react to the sounds around us. And as an example, I want you, I want to give you um, the old movie Psycho, the screeching violins in Psycho, or the driving bass tone in 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 Jaws as the music as the shark approaches. It's designed to have chemicals, and the chemicals I talked about in the, in, in, in the brain before, for those chemical releases, and it releases adrenaline and acetylcholine in the brain, the, the music and the sound. So the beat of the music releases emotions, and then it's almost like um, the the lyrics are the pill and the music are the water, and it makes the water go down easy. So when you're talking about killing a black man, it's, it's a rap song that one of my students played for me. Well, he stopped at a uh, he was stopped at a red light, and I pulled out my Mac 10. And so you don't even notice the guy standing until the guy played it for me. This this is horrible. So that's going now. Why does a a Super Bowl commercial, a thirty second spot on a Super Bowl, cost six million dollars? Because Television and radio goes right past the conscious mind into the subconscious mind, and they know it. They know exactly that it goes into the subconscious mind. So what do you think the kid is sitting there listening to this song about killing other people, killing black people? What do you think that that's going inside that kid's mind? It becomes perfectly acceptable. You know, oh, it's just a normal part of my life. You know, it's just normal. And and so we're programming our children. You don't realize that you could program your you can program your your, your child and not even realize. So it, 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 so what is going on in your kid's environment is very important. One one sample that I do use is I, I show this to my my uh, freshman students. It's a clip, it's a short clip from the Terminator old movie. 
um, the uh, a truck driver runs over the Terminator, runs over the robot. He thinks it's a human. And he turns to his son is on the passenger seat, and he turns to his son and says, you stay here. Now, why did the father tell the boy to stay in the seat while he looked, while he looked under the truck? Why would he do that? Because that boy was not emotionally prepared to see what the father thought he could see or he might see. And our children are not either. Our children are not emotionally developed enough to deal with the, the, the rigors of their environment. If they did, they wouldn't need parents. So the parents must be responsible. I'm not exposed to my kids to this. You are three creatures. I'm sorry. No, no, we as a community have to be more responsible because another, another thing that um, in what Elliot raised um, in relationship to the music, um, based off of this conversation, I'm seeing in relationship to identity formation. Look at the de- identity choices that they're saying young people, <clears throat> and we're talking about from eight, are supposed to make in relationship to even their gender choice. Oh, Please don't get me into that. You're going to get me arrested if you kind of put me in. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just, you know, I mean we're, if we're talking about a traumatized community overall, and we're talking about the effect of this traumatized community in relationship to um, where we started as far as, um, you know, what um, Sister Young mentioned about emotional fitness, and then the effect of, because they can make the songs, but they're being, as you say, they're paying $6 million dollars to promote the songs mm-hmm. that these young people are identifying with and building up this image. And they're also um, promoting these choices. Like they were promoting choices to get colloids, uh, the, the, the tricks, you know, sugar to the child. Now they're saying you choose what your identity is to a sick person from that emotional perspective. Doesn't it have a different effect then if somebody was uh, the environment they're in is more healthy in relationship to sifting out the the identity, their self-identity, especially as it relates to gender. You are exactly on the money. I want you, your audience to look at um, the dictionary, right? Uh, look, look up the word homosexual. The first word in the definition of homosexual is an adult, okay, <laughs> who is sexually attracted to somebody of the same sex. So the first word is an adult. Not an eight-year-old or a kid or a child. So a child is still developing. That brain is still developing, as we talked about earlier. That brain is still developing. You can't force choices on a child at that early early age. I was watching an old episode of uh, uh, Leave it to Beaver, and Beaver was in a play, and a girl kissed him. And Beaver was like maybe eight years old, and he hated it. Girls, I don't like girls. At that age, you didn't like girls. But eventually, he was going to start liking girls. Girls, are you going to make him make a choice of his sexuality at that age? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And that's the one thing that our community, uh, our traumatized community, does. And that's one thing that we 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 need not have to deal with at this point. We have we have so much on our plate to kind of get us back um, on our feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, our analogy I use is two houses. Okay, you have a black house and a white house. Now. The White House uh, has been developing over, the, they've been doing add-on build-up for years, but the Black House spent 300 years of termites eating away at the substructure. Now, they came in and they destroyed the, the, the termites of, of slavery, but they did not repair the damage that the termites did. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the two houses, at one point they look very similar. 
But as time goes on, the house starts to destroy. It starts to implode because the, the structure was not repaired. And that is what you're seeing going on in the black community. As, as time goes by, we're starting to implode. And all these things are manifesting. So that's what you're saying. And it's time to start doing those repairs, psychological repairs, all the damage that has been done, both from being in externally oriented, which, which, which slavery did to us. We become externally oriented. We, we draw our sense of power from money, cars, things, music, instead of internal things. And that's one of the things that we're working in as a psychologist, though, that we're trying to start building up those internal things again. Let's go to 215, a question or comment. 215? Yes, sir. Good, good evening, Brother Elliot. Good yeah. evening, Brother Richard. And good evening, my dear friend and brother, Dr. Payne. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you for asking. I totally appreciate it. You're more than welcome, sir. You know, Dr. Pay, I'm just been listening to you and Brother Rich and, and Brother Elliot. You just, you, y'all got my mind spinning because y'all putting forth so much good information. And and Dr. Payne, you may not believe this, but I'll, I'll be my witness. When you talk, when you're talking to Brother Elliot and Brother Richard a few several minutes ago about how money, when you talk to some of the inmates and how they say money is the thing that they that they focus on as opposed to freedom. Well, about an hour or so ago, Dr. Payne, I was talking to a, friend, a childhood friend of mine who's been in prison up in Mahanoy in Fraxville, PA. He's, okay. been up there, he's been up there for a murder he didn't commit. Because I know the type of person he did. He wouldn't do that. Now, I'm not, I'm not just saying because we grew up together. I know his character. He was framed. You know, if they say a scorned woman, he was framed by a, a, a girlfriend that, you know, was upset with him. You know how that go, you know. And yep. he framed him for this murder. Well, anyway, he has his best chance of getting out now. And it's so ironic that your time is, is, is so on point, Dr. Payne, because he was telling me the night when we was talking, he said, he said, Brother Joe, he said, I can't believe the mentality of some of these brothers up here. And I said, what you mean by that? He says, because he says before a lot of these brothers was, was looking forward to getting out of jail, you know, whether they was in jail for murder, whether they was in jail for robbery, whatever they was in jail for. He said, but now all the brothers, they, they've been bragging to me about how they okay now. He said, long as they, 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 they get their they girlfriends, their mothers, their sisters, you know, putting so much money on the books now that the brother's happy with all the money they're getting from their family members and friends. You know, so in other words, Dr. Payne, they, they, freedom being released is not even an issue for them no more. It's not even a priority. As long as they're getting money on their books, I mean, and, and, and they said these brothers be getting some big money from their girlfriends and, and mothers and girl and wives or whatever like that, you know, so they're happy with the, with the money. And I'm saying to myself, that's crazy. So your that's point is. <laughs> You're right on the money. You yeah. see it. I mean, it's amazing. So, because Marcus, like I said, Dr. Payne, my friend, he wants to get out of there. He's been up, he's been that hellhole for the last 20 bucks. He wants out and so he wants to be home with his family. But these people are okay being in there, long as they, like, like you told Elliot and Richard, and the time for the wake and listen to this, they're okay as long as they're getting the money now. I'm saying that's crazy. And, and, and Dr. Payne, you mentioned too early about how a lot of Caucasian people, how they look at our people as, as like you said, bigger than what they are. If you, if you look back at the tragic case of Michael Brown, when that devil cop shot Michael Brown, remember, you see, remember his words after he shot Michael Brown, I was afraid for my life because he was a big black guy. Now, Dan Brown himself, the, the white cop that shot him, uh, Brown, he's six foot four, 200-something pounds himself. 
He was <laughs> as big. He was as big as Michael Brown. You know. Wow. But yet he sucked. But yeah, he looked at Michael Brown as some kind of giant animal. He 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 he, 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 he pitted. He said he was like a big black whatever. You know. What I mean. I mean he was. I mean he went all in on Michael Brown. I'm saying myself, dude. It wasn't like you was no five nine pipsqueak. You're a big guy yourself. But because this because Michael Brown's a young black man, he looked like seven foot tall to him. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. So your so your so your point is well taken. But how whites look at our children, man? Because I see it all the time. They scared. They they look at our children like they animals. Like they like they they they, they something to be afraid of. But like you said, Kyle Rittenhouse can go. He can cross state lines, kill two people, kill two Caucasian people. By the way, you know That's the right. police. This police slapping him, slapping him high fives, giving him water. Now you know, like you said, the brother Ellen, brother Richard, uh, Doctor Pam, had that been uh, Raheem did the same thing and, and, and killed. Even if he had killed two black people, maybe they might have came down as hard. But let's just say for the sake of he killed two black people. Those same whites wouldn't be able to talk about something. He's a he's the kid next door. They'd be saying he's a murderer. He's an animal. This and that. But Calvin House, his mother and his mother was never charged. He drove her son across state lines. We know what's rightful, and he killed two. two, two, two to human beings' lives, and he's held as a hero. Donald Trump invited him down to Mar-a-Lago. I mean, if we can't see Dr. Payne, I'm not, and I, I won't be too long with it, but like you said, if, if, our people, if, we, if our people can't see what's going on, man, I mean, this white supremacy and white sickness and, and psychosis is crazy, man. I mean, it just, it, it takes away any kind of humanity when it comes to us, and it just puts everything back on their humanity, and so they, they never looked upon, and like you say, January 6th, not close with this, Dr. Payne. Now, you know and I know. And anybody, black person or woman, in spite of what the Candace Owens and and, and, and these other coons might say, we all know if the if that was Black Lives Matter would arrest the Capitol on January 6, 2021, you would have had dead black bodies all over the Capitol steps. You know, just dead black everywhere and stuff. And and, and, and it didn't get and it shouldn't get lost now, people. Doctor Payne, this is my last point in my mouth that Donald Trump. Now, when that white cop shot the Quan McDonald in Chicago, he came right on the scene, shoot this young black boy who was 15 or 16 at the time, who was having a mental episode. None of the other officers had fired their weapons. He shot Laquan 16 times, right? And Donald Trump never referred to him as a thug. But yet this white girl, Ashley Babbitt, who broke into the Capitol to attack lawmakers, she gets shot by a, pol- a black police officer, and what do Trump say? He's a thug. You know what I mean? He's See, a thug. I mean, I, mean, we, I mean, again, we can't miss out on these things. This is so clear, Dr. Payne, what we're dealing with in this country today. Well, Dr. Payne, thank you, my, my, my man. Thank you, sir, for, for, for your comments, and, uh, and I thank Brother Ellen Rich for having you on, and I'll sit back and listen to the rest of this show. It's, it's just good information, Dr. Payne. You keep doing what you're doing. Put me on mute, Ellen, and I'll listen to the rest of the show. Thanks for totally appreciate it. Totally appreciate your comment. Thanks for You're your welcome. contribution. Uh, before, listen, before we leave, before we wind things up, let me let me take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll kind of wind the conversation down. Uh, for the time we have him on, you can join the conversation with a question or comment by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back.
are listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media. Part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. I transformed a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one of the tangible transformations I've created for entrepreneurs in various industries around the country. If this isn't what you think of when you think of accounting and business consulting, then get ready to take down this invaluable information. Are you an entrepreneur suffering with a stagnating company? Have headache customers, staff, or vendors? Are you rebounding from a loss and need help achieving your unrealized potential? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? Hi, my name is Nataki Kanban. If you're ready to go beyond advising and coaching and get results, then call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions recommend and implement the best comprehensive sales, administrative, human resources, accounting, and operations to help you grow into your vision for yourself and your company. Again, from anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072 or pull us up on your device right now and book your free consultation at www.newbusinesssolutions.com. Just mention you heard this special announcement on Time for an Awakening. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. For 12 years, I and others like me have held out radiant promises of progress I had preached to them about my dream. I had lectured to them about the not-too-distant day when they would have freedom all here now. I had urged them to have faith in America and in white society. Their hopes had soared. They were now booing me because they felt that we were unable to deliver on our promises. They were booing because we had urged them to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. They were now hostile because they were watching the dream that they had so readily accepted turn into a frustrating nightmare. And so the collision course is set.
the desegregation decisions and other type of legislation and Supreme Court decisions depends upon changing the white man's mind. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches uh, us that our own mind has to be changed. We have to change our uh, mind about ourselves. In what way? Well, so he uh, teaches us the importance of moral reformation, uh, a knowledge of self. And, uh, for instance, the average so-called Negro, he doesn't think that he can uh, go into business and provide jobs for himself. And because of this, he thinks that he can only get a job from the white man, or he can only get clothes from the white man, or he can only get food from the white man. And we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are taught that uh, the same thing that the white man has done for himself and his kind, uh, if our people could uh, be wrecked, uh, if, if we could be cured of our slave mentality that was uh, indoctrinated into us during slavery, we would realize that just as the white man can do these things for himself and his kind, we can get together in unity and harmony and do the same thing for ourselves and our kind. not wondering at all about them. What I'm concerned with the suffering and the pain of the masses of black people. No one wants to pay reparations. The Jews received over a hundred billion dollars in reparations and gets four billion annually. A Holocaust museum was set up for them on this soil for over two hundred million dollars and they get two twenty-one million annually just for operating expenses. But the Catholic Church, the Pope, the Jews, the Arabs, white people in general, no one wants to pay reparations to these, the sons and daughters of Africa. So I speak to them. I don't speak. I speak to them. I don't speak to the family of those two Jews. There are too, too many of us for me to speak to them. And one of the reasons why I'm always happy to come to this organization, because you're the only one, you're the only black organization, again, that understands to put race first. Race first. Race first. And I've had some white folks to tell me that I was a flaming militant, a radical, or whatever all of these names were that they called me. And I said that I am very pleased that you've called me a nationalist, because you could have said that I was a member of the NAACP of the Urban League. So I said, I'm very pleased of the names that you have given. And I said that because we put race first, something is wrong with us. But everybody else puts their own first because God blessed the child who has his own. And so I think that race first is very important. And though we meet in a different venue, we're not at the slave theater, we're not at the church, we're now at the Masonic Temple, it really does not matter where we are physically. It matters where we are in our minds. And wherever we meet, as long as we know that we're Africans and as long as we know that we're black people living here in America... We know exactly who we are. You notice you can put an Uncle Tom in any venue in the White House. You can even put him in his. He'll still be a Tom. You can put him anywhere you want. Well, it's the same thing with us who are strong people. Wherever we are, we're going to be the people that we need to be. encourage let me just say this before our time winds up and that is I want 
the people in the audience to go back and look at the video clip from Roots. It's entitled something like Breaking Kunta Kente. That scene opens with Lauren Green uh, sitting in, who's the plantation master, sitting in his office, and then Fiddler comes in and says, um, uh, we don't want to be too hard on the runaway. Kunta Kente has just run away and been caught. And um, so the time comes for him to get his lashing. And if you look at this scene, it's about nine minutes, and study the scene. Study the role of everybody or bodies that are in this particular clip. And you will find that there is an equivalent role in the political life of our country today, whether it's on the national level or on the local level. There's the black man who actually does the whipping of Kunta Kinte. There's the white man who does the whipping. There's the black man who intervenes with the boss man and tries to save the life of Kunta Kinte. There's Kunta himself, who eventually is forced to admit that his name is Toby. And there's a there's dozens of bystanders, black, who are watching. This, this is a very powerful thing. And it's an analogy of exactly what is happening in our community today. Let's give those characters names in our community and call them what they are and then take care of business about that. back to Time for an Awakening. It's 9.13 in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. We're discussing trauma with uh, a clinical uh, doctor of psychology over 30 years, Dr. Carlton Payne, trauma in the black community. Uh, Dr. Payne, before I ask you a couple of questions, if we're talking about trauma, we just heard the voice of Dr. King said that the people were booing him because, and he took responsibility as, as a leader and a pastor at that time, he said the people were booing him because he told them or persuaded them to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. And it turned the dream that he was telling them that they could have into a frustrating nightmare, which is trauma. Oh, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, okay. I, okay. He's getting a little interference in the back. Um, 
the frustrating nightmare, which is trauma to the black community. You spoke about trauma, and, and we were dealing with it from the, the aspect of our first guest when she was talking about suicide numbers raised in the black community. And you've expressed that trauma internalized can lead to those behaviors. Let's talk about trauma externalized, if I'm using the right terms. Uh, what are some of the areas, let's see some of the things that are happening that shows trauma being externalized? And I'll give you an example and tell me if I'm wrong. You'll have uh, people doing stuff to one another, whether it's older or younger people. And if it's older, and especially men involved, they're the N-word. It's no respect put on anybody's names. They're just N-words. And that's the excuse. Oh, he was was just an N-word. So is that trauma being externalized? Help me with that, because internal trauma you express can lead to suicide because you feel hopeless, you feel frustrated, and it's like, well, let let me end this. But how is trauma externalized? There are several ways of externalizing trauma, okay? One is apathy, thinking that apathy. I don't care about anything. I don't care about anybody else. I don't don't care anymore. And and that's a way of self-protection. And... Another way, and you see that in uh, in a lot of these people who um, are on um, what is it called uh, conservative radio. Well, it's not me, you know. Um, uh, Thomas Sowell and and Jesse Lee Peterson and stuff. Well, and and they and they attack black people. Black people are this. Black people are that. And I'm not one of them. So it's like separation um, separation from the group. There's also um, uh, group blaming. Uh, intergroup aggression, um, all these ex- external external manifestations of trauma are coming out. Um, self-destructive behavior is one. So th- there's multiple expressions of it. I don't know if you've seen like the Juan Williams or the Jesse Lee Peterson. It's them. I'm not one of them. And and uh, so that's why um, you know black people are this or black people are that. And they and they, they they put their own group of people down. They kind of separate. Uh, and that's, but that's really an external expression of trauma. And, it's, and that's been, these new um, people who are doing this, this is not a, a something new. It's been going on since the day of, of, of that slavery ended, or even during slavery, uh, that people try to separate themselves from the group. They identify, identification with the oppressor as a means of, of um, survival. So that's basically one, one great example of, of where these behaviors come from. Um, we see it in the black community all the time. They put each they put each other down. They call like you said. They call each other the n word. They call each other dog. They they uh, they don't. They see and people ask the question: How come black people do the same behaviors as Caucasian cops or Caucasian people? Because they see the same thing. They've been programmed to think the same way. You know, um, a, a person walking through Walmart, um, the black person will see him. As, as as a crook as much as the white person will because of the programming that took place on the subconscious level. If you watch just any uh, watch it, uh, uh, the, the group that watches more TV than any other group in this country are black people, and so you're being programmed um, to think a certain way. So 
you know, if you're taught that this would, this is how black people look, this is what black people do, this would, you, you believe it just as much as your oppressor does. Let me give you a prime example. And I do this experiment with my, um, with my students, and I want to I do it with you and Brother Richard, okay? I will begin the sentence, and you end it for me, okay? Eminem, melt in your mouth. Not in your hand. Yeah. Choose the mothers, choose. Jeff. Yes. How do you know this? <laughs> well, I've seen advertisements and it's kind of burned no, into my psyche. Go ahead. Very good. It's been programmed, programmed into your subconscious mind. And you don't even know it's there. So something as simple as there's a GIF commercial or an MS commercial is in there. What else do you think is in there? Okay. And, and whatever, yeah, whatever's planted in that subconscious mind manifests in your behaviors. Okay. What does Arnold Schwarzenegger say in every movie? I'll be back. Okay. I asked that of my students. They all know it. <laughs> We're being programmed and don't even realize it. So if you're programmed that this black person is something less, this black person is not what I see. And, and you know, uh, they can handle trauma. They're used to it. And, and you know, don't even uh, give them treatment. It, uh, and the, the, the pastor talked about that. That's pervasive in a black community. It's a stigma to go seek help. You know? And, and you if said, you look at some, go, ahead. go ahead. Finish your thought. Go ahead. <laughs> if you look at some of the terminology that they use for people with mental health disorders, you see it. His elevator doesn't go all, to, all the way to the top. He's a few fries short of a happy meal. You don't have both oars in the water. Everything is negative when it comes to mental health. But mental health is just as significant as physical health. You know, if you have issues with your liver or kidneys or spleen, people will get treatment without the stigma. But if you have issues with your with your uh, with your mind, oh, I don't want to be bothered with that. That person crazy. No, you're your entire person, mental and physical. Okay, and and the the thing is to be treated as a whole person, not just as a stigma. And that's something that we're going to have to. That's another one of those things that we're going to have to really deal with in the African community to make ourselves whole. Uh, you know what? I, uh, I kind of lost the train that I, that I was thinking about because I had a question in mind uh, while you were talking. Okay. R- Richard, you you wanted to jump in here? I'd kind of gather my thoughts, or maybe I can throw that in before we uh, wind things down. No, I, I just want to, um, you know, just thank um, Dr. Payne for, you know, the work and, and really helping to flush this out. I think and it was interesting because I was just um, in a discussion on Clubhouse and um, was raising, you know, how do we build, you know, how can we build without having unity? And was asked, like, our different, um, w- what did we see as individual issues to uh, address? And a sister from Chicago um, raised this point uh, uh, just today, uh, raised this point of as she's looking at the um, issue going on in Chicago around mental health. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it and and the impact of the gun violence and, and and things that are having on young people. So this conversation and what was um, really developed here really helps flush out that is something that isn't just located <clears throat> in Pennsylvania or in um, you know in Memphis um, or Chicago. This is something that we have to address as a you know larger political community about our mental health. Um, as a as a social group in America, and as you say, if we don't, I like that metaphor of that termite. 
uh, eventually we'll um, see other ways of how the house is collapsing. Too right on the money. Just one thing I wanted to bring to the attention of your of your listeners, and I hope they find this um, important. When I was growing up, I would we would spend every Christmas, Thanksgiving, like that, at my grandmother's house. So, at, and as I grew, um, we would have generations. My grandmother would be there. My uncle, her son, would be there. His son was there. Um, his daughter and her daughter. Her daughter's maybe a, a infant at the time. So that's five generations under one roof at one time for for year after year after year. Okay. Now, in the book Roots. From Kunta Kente until Alex Haley, how many generations did he chronicle? Mm. Only seven. But they say slavery does not affect people nowadays. I want you to think about that. Yeah. Wow. Five generations all together every year. And they don't have an influence on each other. So that trauma of slavery and Jim Crow did not affect black people. Think about it. And it gives you an idea of what you have between your ears. It's the most fantastic device ever created. Like I said with children, everything that goes on around you, everything that you touch, taste, smell, hear, is recorded in that magnificent device. And trauma is recorded the same way. You know, before before you leave us, Richard mentioned earlier about um leadership. I think you mentioned about political, it, this issue being political. I think you mentioned that, Richard. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we have a new uh, potential mayor that won the Democratic primary that has, that doubled down on it in our press conference, saying that she's going to bring back stop and frisk. Now, the stop and frisk uh, has been deemed unconstitutional because uh, according to the Constitution of this United States, Illegal search and seizure is a violation of a right. Uh, now, looking at it from a young man's perspective, growing up in the, during the time of Rizzo being the police commissioner and stop and frisk was the law of the land, so to speak, in the black community. And we seen that whenever we was walking down the street, and especially two or three of us together coming from a schoolyard or coming from playing baseball or just, just walking. Here come the cops. Get up against the wall. Empty your pockets. Those type of behaviors, which leads from what you're saying to trauma, especially on a young person. So you're talking about instead of dealing with this issue and the, mic, the macro, you want to deal with deal with it with the micro which will be causing more trauma in your community talk about it from that perspective before we start winding things down it, it this is a fast food society okay and we have a tendency to take the shortcut to get things done and it never works back when Fahim Charles was killed this was 20 years ago I was on a, a radio show and I said this is a 10 to 20 year process. If you want to stop, if you want to stop our children from killing each other, we're going to have to do interventions now, just like they did when they, with the eight year olds with the prison. They, they see, they see that, that the 18 year old is going to move to that prison bed. We can use the same tactics and techniques to keep our children from killing each other. And the audience were upset. No, I want, I want the answer now. 
And that was 20 years ago. Had we done those interventions back then, then we, the problem would be greatly diminished by now. But this is the fast food society. We want to do it now. So she's going to go back and make the same mistakes that we made before and go back to the stop and frisk. And it's, it's the old saying, if you don't learn from your mistakes, you're doomed to relive them. So the same thing is going to happen before. You know, It's going to be un- ineffective. And it's going to be some of the same exact stuff that happened before. So you've got to think you have, this is a different generation. They have a different mindset. You have to take new and innovative approaches with them. And so you can see what is going to happen. You can make predictions as to what the best way to predict future behavior in this business, in my my business psychology, the best way to predict future behavior is look at previous behavior. It's very predictable. So you can see what's going to happen, you know? And I said, well, that's how do you know that was going to happen? I saw it before. And like you said, the real error you saw before, you could predict it. You know, when I work with married couples, they say, how do you know that? I've been married 37 years. You think I didn't see that? Or your kid, your your kid, my son, he'll say, well, Dad, how did you know that I was going to do that? I used to be you. <laughs> I was your, you don't think I've never been 17 or 25 before? So certain things are easy to predict, predict in, in the mind. One thing I want to share with your callers is the difference between, you see, the, the new mayor is dealing with, the facts and not the truth. The difference between the facts and the truth will open a lot of people's eyes. Okay. I want you to look at the, the, the system always presents the facts. Okay. Um, a criminal, and you look at a Webster dictionary, a criminal is defined as a person who breaks the law or has been convicted of breaking the law. Okay. Quote unquote fact. Now, 1955 Rosa Parks boarded a bus and the sign above her head read, under penalty of law, black sitting in the back, white sitting in the front. They call them Negroes at the time. Now, Rosa, not only did she break that law, but she was convicted of breaking that law. Was Rosa Parks a criminal? Do you see the difference between the facts and the truth? So understand the difference. Don't go for always what's presented to you. Do a little research and go beyond what's presented to you. Here's another one. And this one, the, the, the greatest society always hits us over the head with this one. Blacks only make up uh, 14% of the population, but they make up 47% of the prison population, okay? Let's take that, let's take that, that presentation. And it's hard to see that. Oh, there must be something wrong with them. But let's look at Alaska. Native Alaskans only make up 15% of the total population, but they make up 30% of the prison population. Hmm. Native Hawaiians, the people who were there before um, Caucasian America got there, they make up 20%, 24% of the population of Hawaii, but they make up 39% of the prison population. The Aborigines in Australia only make up 3% of the population of Australia, but they make up 29% of the prison population. What's going on? Be it for what it is, the facts and the truth. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> right on the money. <laughs> yeah. Before we leave tonight, Dr. Payne, give out any if people want to contact you or reference to your practice or help. Or we've, been dealing, we've been dealing with the subject of trauma tonight in the black community. Uh, any contacts, things like that that you want yeah, to do? I just want out? you to go to drcarlton1 at comcast.net and you will be my website and get all my numbers and information. drcarlton1 at comcast.net. Thanks for your contribution, Bella. Talk to you soon. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Both of you, was you're wonderful, and, and my kudos to, to the past. It was absolutely fantastic. Talk to you soon. Peace. Take care. Yeah. Peace now. Richard, uh, 
Good conversation on this issue tonight. Uh, uh, you know, it's something that I never really focused in on because, and, and I shouldn't look at it like that, but it never directly affected me in my family or extended family. Mm-hmm. So I, I never really focused in on it. Not that I don't care about the issue because, right. I mean, we're dealing with this tonight because it's, it's a subject of concern. But I just never focused in on it because, it, I, it, you know, I just never had been directly affected by it. But it's clear that it's a problem. And that, that generational trauma is something that we're still dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I agree with the, the past out of Memphis that these things, these forms need to be had because it's things happening in this society, Richard, that exacerbates this trauma. But if you got leadership involved, they're not going to talk about this. And you, if your leadership is supposed to be your watchman. They're supposed to be your spokesperson. Anything that you feel, the frustrations you feel, they're supposed to take this right to the people that's supposedly in charge. Mm-hmm. But it's not happening. And it's, it's the things every day that happen. Richard, this week, I think it was earlier this week, you had a young white boy that tried to crash the Capitol. Now, keep in mind that when this incident happened before, I think one incident happened shortly after that January 6th, where a young black guy tried to drive his car through the barriers and he was killed. You remember? Right. Yep. And before that, it was a young woman that had her baby in the car that tried to crash the barriers and they riddled the car. It was a miracle the child wasn't killed. But they riddled the car full of bullets and killed her, the mother. Mm-hmm. Both of them black. Now, you had this guy, and they were driving cars, Richard, vehicles. You had a guy driving a truck, which is a whole new heightened sense of awareness because a truck, you can be carrying a bomb, I mean, mm-hmm. explosives. In fact, that, that's how they caught a lot of those things around in a, in a, a truck, or you haul a truck, or just a truck, period. He tried to crash the barrier with a truck, and he was taken into custody. Not shot, not, I mean, just taken into custody. Young white boy. They look in the truck, he had all types of paraphernalia in there. I think he had Nazi flags or whatever, and he was charged with trying to kill uh, the president. Mm-hmm. But he was taken into custody. I mean, how does that work? When you hey. had two blacks try to cra- uh, crash the barrier with a car, no one, you can't get far, but the cars was riddled because they could see the individuals driving. You had a guy with a U-Haul truck try to crash in. They had video of it, try to crash. I think he tried to run through it twice, mm. and he was taken into custody. So these, you know, the, the, the contradiction happens constantly in this society, constantly. But it's never pointed out. You, it might be pointed out through grassroots organizations or people talking in the street. But that's not, it's supposed to be pointed out by people that you vote for as leaders. They need to point out this contradiction. They need to be the watchmen. They need to be the town criers. But they're talking crazy. You know, I, uh, it, it, the caller, uh, uh, Brother Joe, uh, told me about um, Cory Booker when he was interviewed by a former White House press secretary that's now on the news. And I, and I recorded the conversation. The stuff he was talking about, Richard, I mean, it's really puzzling. <laughs> Say, what, world are in? <laughs> what world are they living in? 
And listen, you heard Dr. Payne say all of that stuff is trauma that's turned another way. Oh, I'm not like them. I'm like you. Right. But they don't see that as trauma. But you got a professional that sees that behavior as trauma, externalized. Because I was asking them about the difference. The internalized trauma is somebody maybe committing suicide or, or harming themselves. But the externalized trauma, those are one of the things of externalized trauma. There you go. <laughs> well, before we leave tonight, uh, just uh, give the abbreviated lineup one time for an awakening. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I know I know he'll be there tomorrow at his post, African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting topics and dialogues on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on during the week from 7 to 9 on Thursday, uh, Brother Patrick Lumumba, Mississippi on the Move, the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, planning for a big event coming in September. You'll be hearing more about it on Time for an Awakening. You'll hear Brother Patrick talking about it uh, on his program and and on on our program also when he comes on. That's uh, Thursdays uh, from 7 to 9 on Time for an Awakening. On Fridays, the Time for Awakening is back from 8 until Saturdays, uh, 7 to 9, the Elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James as host. And then on Sundays, Time for an Awakening is back from 7 until. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Or you're watching your children playing after school